Friday afternoon, I've been uh, working on the, the text for this morning, and I, I kind of decided that I wanted to, to focus on the way in which the resurrection of Jesus Christ speaks peace into our lives. And it was about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and I remember that we were hosting an Easter egg hunt for our neighborhood on Saturday morning. And I needed to get the grass cut uh, before that Easter egg hunt. And so uh, you guys have been to our house. You know, we've got a big backyard. It's a long way from our house down to the back of the yard, which is where I keep the riding lawnmower. And so I head down the hill, uh, get the riding lawnmower out. One of the tires is flat, which is always flat. So I had the inflator with me. It was kind of, it wasn't working at first, but I finally got it inflated and get the mower out. And I go to crank it and the battery's dead. Okay, I knew this was coming. So... I go to the back to, to take the, the battery out. It's kind of half the size of a car battery. And I go to take this battery out, and the, the cables are rusted on to the battery. And so I grab the WD-40, and I spray it. I don't have a wrench. I can't get the nut loose. So I go back up to the house, get a wrench, come back, undo it, take the battery, go to Walmart. And I walk in with the battery, and they say, oh, we don't take old batteries. I go, okay. So I walk back to the truck. Put it in the truck, walk back in the Walmart, think I need a battery anyway. They don't have the one I need. So I go back to the truck, drive up to Tractor Supply. I walk in this time without the battery because evidently people don't take batteries. And I buy, I'm buying the battery and she says, do you have an old battery to trade in for the $5 core deposit? Like, yeah, hang on just a minute. So I go back out of the truck, come back in, give her the battery, go home, walk down the hill, set the battery in the mower, and on these batteries, the terminals, there's little screws that are in the terminal that you connect the cables to. And I was thinking, well, they're just part of the battery. Well, they're actually not. And I'd left the old screws on the old battery. So I go back up the hill, back to tractor supply, ask, can I see my battery, please? And get the screws out, come back home, go back down the hill, lose the washer for a second, get the thing. It cranks. I'm excited. Front tire's flat. <laughs> And, and because I was being, you know, thinking ahead, I had taken the inflator back up the hill to put it in the house. So I had to go back, get it, bring it back down, pump up the front tire, cranks. It is now two hours later. I started at 3 o'clock. It is 5 o'clock. And I didn't mention the reason I started at 3 was because it was supposed to rain. You know, it started at about 5 o'clock Friday. Yeah, it started raining. About the time I get all this done, and I, and I got the grass cut, but it's one of those deals, you know, when the grass is wet and you're stopping every 10 minutes to, to pull the grass out of the side. And I, and I was and I was thinking, you know, I'm, you know I'm, I'm at perfect peace that whole time, right? Um, not angry. I'm very happy. And, and I'm thinking, wait, what was I think, saying I wanted to preach about, about how the resurrection brings peace into the everyday situations of our lives? And I was thinking, okay, what are you going to do with that now, preacher man? Because... It's having nothing to do with my life right now. Uh, and the other thing that was that song by U2 uh, was stuck in my head, Peace on Earth. Jesus, would you take the time to throw a drowning man a line? Peace on Earth. Like, like I don't feel it. Where, where's the peace on Earth right now? Um, how does the resurrection matter in those situations? How does it bring peace just into the normal, everyday aggravations and frustrations of our lives? And even more, does it make a difference, that's kind of comical, but does it make a difference during the real hard times of our lives? When a, a beach house catches on fire, when uh, our sick child is in the hospital, when, when we're dealing just with the, 
the hard things that we deal with in everyday life in a, in a fallen world, does the resurrection make a real difference? Does it make a real difference for those of us who feel so alone? Does it make a real difference for those of us who are uh, loaded down with guilt and shame about our lives? Does, does the resurrection matter? And I want us to see today that it does. And so we're going to look here, Luke chapter 24, and see how the resurrection speaks peace into our lives. Luke 24, beginning in verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? To see my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, uh, we pray simply this morning that you would open our minds, that we would understand the scriptures, and that we would understand the significance of uh, your life and your death and your resurrection for us. And we ask it in your name. Amen. Well, on a Friday evening, 2,000-some years ago, it was hard for Jesus' disciples to imagine anything peaceful. Uh, they were heartbroken. Jesus, who was supposed to be the Messiah, the, the Savior, Deliverer, was dead. Uh, they were in hiding, didn't know what was going to happen to them. And even by this Sunday evening, as the text we're reading this morning is located, when some of the disciples have already seen the risen Christ, they still don't quite get what has happened. And so they are hiding, John tells us, because they've gathered behind locked doors for fear of the Jews. And then Jesus appears to them, and the first thing he says to them is, peace to you, peace to you. And so what I want us to think about this morning, what I want us to see is that the same Jesus who, because of the resurrection, is able to speak peace to his frightened disciples, is also able and willing to speak peace uh, into our lives as well. And I want, to, I want us to see four ways that the resurrection of Christ then speaks peace to us. Uh, the first one is this, the resurrection of Jesus brings peace because it's the resurrected Jesus who brings forgiveness. It's the resurrected Jesus who brings forgiveness. Uh, notice Jesus stands among his disciples again, and the first thing he says is peace to you. And then he tells them, this, this gathered group of men, that he wants them to go out and proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins to the nations. He wants them to proclaim 
peace to all men. Now, think about who Jesus is talking to here. This is a group of guys that, that three days before, uh, they had been saying, we'll die with you. And then when things got real, they bugged out. You know, they got out of there. Uh, they ran, they fled. Peter even denied that he even knew who Jesus was. And yet, here is Jesus, having died and risen, showing up to these same disciples. He doesn't rebuke them. He's not angry. He's not sarcastic. He doesn't say, thanks for the help, guys. Could have used you there. But he simply says, peace to you. Peace to you. The resurrected Lord Jesus speaks words of peace to fearful and sinful disciples. He did it then and he does it today as well. Well, how's he able to do that? How can Jesus speak words of forgiveness to them? How can Jesus speak words of forgiveness to us, to me? Uh, he can do this because of what happened on Friday. Because at the cross, Jesus took the penalty for the sins of his people. Jesus paid the price that we should have paid for our sins. And the resurrection was the proof that God the Father had found this payment acceptable. That he was stamping paid in full on our bill. Uh, Romans 4.25 says that Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul puts it this way. He says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. See, if, if Jesus never rose, then Jesus' death didn't accomplish anything. That would mean that, that God the Father had looked on what Jesus had done and said, that's not enough. It's not sufficient. Uh, it, it, it doesn't satisfy the debt. But instead, God the Father says amen to the work of his son, raising him from the dead, assuring the disciples and assuring us as well that the work of Jesus is sufficient. It absolutely is sufficient. It's enough to forever secure the forgiveness of your sins and my sins. How many sins do you think you've committed since last Easter? Um, how many sins do you think you've committed since last Sunday? How many sins do you think you've committed since you got up this morning, even? Uh, Jesus has done enough to pay the price for all of those sins. And that's good news, isn't it? It's good news to those of us who are very aware of how many sins we've committed this morning. To those of us who are weighed down uh, by the guilt of our sin, that's good news. That through faith in Jesus Christ, not by adding anything to it, not by our acts of penance, but through faith in Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven. That's good news. But it's bad news to those of us, on the other hand, who think that we can contribute to what Jesus has done, who are who think... I can kind of take care of this on my own, through my own good works. Uh, earlier this week, you may have heard this quote, the former mayor of, of New York, Michael Bloomberg, uh, said this, I'm telling you, if there is a God, when I get to heaven, I'm not stopping to be interviewed. I'm heading straight in. I have earned my place in heaven. It's not even close. 
And that's just the exact opposite, isn't it, of, of what the scriptures say, of what the Bible says. The Bible tells me that I can never do enough to pay my way in, but that Jesus has. Jesus has. Jesus has paid the way for every person who will turn and repent from their sins, but also who will turn from their good works. Who will turn from thinking, yeah, I can earn my way in, to turn both from your bad works and your good works, and to embrace what Jesus Christ has done for you. And if you'll do that, you can be certain that what he's done is enough. And the resurrection proves it. And the resurrection brings you peace, even though your sins may be many. The second way the resurrection brings us peace is that it has the power to, to free me from my fears. Uh, the other song that was going through my head when I was cutting the grass was this old hymn, and I don't really know why, but it's this old hymn, Fairest Lord Jesus ruler of all nature, and I guess because I wanted him to make it stop raining. Um, but fairest Lord Jesus, ruler of all nature, when, when you and I get in those, those scary situations, those hard situations, uh, when, when someone we love is at death's door, when, when we're struggling with things badly, when life's breaking down, we can know that the same Lord Jesus who died for our sins, the same Lord Jesus who rose for us, that Lord Jesus is even now at the right hand of the Father, ruling all nature, ruling all things for the good of his people. Where are you scared right now? Where are you fearful right now? The resurrected Lord Jesus who rules all things, he speaks words of peace to you. He comes to you in the midst of whatever you're going through and he says, Peace be to you. I've, I've got this. I've got this. Peace be to you. Rest in me and, and what I'm doing. But there's a, there's a second and, and probably more profound way that the resurrection frees me from fear. The resurrection has the ability to free me from my fear of death. Uh, there was an article this week I read. It was written by a lady named Betsy Childs. And I want to read a section of it to you. It's on the Gospel Coalition blog. Well, this is what she said. She's talking about her her grandmother who was dying. My grandmother was dying of pancreatic cancer. She faced her terminal diagnosis with grace and faith. While we, her children and grandchildren, were terribly sad, her Christian peace in the face of dying comforted us all. Except, that is, for the one night when I panicked. I was lying in bed waiting to fall asleep. This was the first time I had faced the death of someone close. All at once it occurred to me that we had no idea what would happen to my grandmother. None of us had closed our eyes in death. And that meant none of us knew what she would see when she opened them. The horror of the unknown washed over me. I realized it wasn't really her death that I was afraid of. It was my own. I'm not alone in being frightened by how little we know about the experience of death. The fact that books about journeys to heaven and back repeatedly land on the bestseller list testifies to our need for someone to tell us what death is going to be like. We want to hear that we will be met by someone we know. We want the assurance that the light at the end of the darkness is real and that someone dear to us will be holding the lamp. Who in their right mind would want to go into a tunnel without knowing what they would find on the other side. When faced with the unknown, I've watched my cousin's children adopt roles that suit their birth order and personalities. The older is cautious and worried about danger. 
The younger is foolhardy and tough. He's unaware that there is anything he should fear. When confronting a new and potentially scary situation, the older brother will send the younger in first. He waits for his little brother to come back and assure him that he won't get hurt. In our case, it was our older brother, Jesus, who ventured into the dark unknown. He didn't leave us behind indefinitely to wonder what happened. He conquered death and came back to let us know that it is now safe to follow. He speaks to us these comforting words, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. That night, my panic lasted for several minutes until I remembered that simple truth. Jesus died and lived to tell about it. Death is not a total unknown to the human race. Jesus has been there and come back again. The resurrection frees us from our fear of death. When you think about Jesus' disciples in this situation, they had abandoned him three days before because they were scared of death. They were, they were frightened for their own lives. And yet, on that night, on that day, something transformed in them. They met the risen Lord Jesus, and he spoke these words of peace to them. And suddenly these men who were scared for their own lives and hiding, they were willing to go out and die for their faith in Jesus Christ. Tradition tells us that Peter was even crucified upside down. They had been that radically changed by the resurrection that they no longer feared death. The resurrection speaks peace to me because it frees me from my fears in life, and it frees me as well from my fear, from my fear of death. Which is the third thing here. Uh, the resurrection speaks peace to me because it makes sense of history and it makes sense in my life. Look here in verse 45. I'm going to read this again. Actually, I'm going to back up to 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. Uh, here's what I mean. When Jesus spoke to his disciples, he wanted them to see, one of the things he wanted them to see was that what was going on with him was part of a bigger story. That all of the Old Testament, all of history even, had been, had been moving forward to the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And now going from the resurrection, all of history was flowing from that event. This was the hinge of all history. And all history is now flowing from that as the disciples go and proclaim Jesus' death and resurrection to the nations. See, if the Bible's true, if the resurrection is true, then history makes sense. There's a, there's, a, there's a pattern to the whole thing. There's actually a true story about what is going on in this world. Uh, we talk about it sometimes like this. There is creation that a loving God made all things. 
Well, what's wrong with the world then? Well, the world has fallen that man rebelled against God. Well, what's going to happen then? Well, redemption. God is working to, to restore his broken and fallen creation. Well, what awaits us? Well, this future glory where all things will be made new. And so we can see where we've come from. We're not here for no reason. And then there is hope for us because of what Jesus Christ has done. And all of our lives is driving to something. We don't just live this purposeless existence. But see, if the resurrection is not true, if the story of the scriptures is not true, then, then nothing we've done matters. Nothing you've done to this point in your life matters. Nothing that you will do matters. Because death just has the final word, and, and that's it. Uh, Ravi Zacharias said, The silence that falls is the heart-wrenching echo of a purposeless existence. You can be Hitler, whose birthday is actually today, uh, randomly enough. You can be Hitler, or you can be Mother Teresa. It doesn't matter. If there's no resurrection, there's no meaning, there's no purpose, there's nothing. But what the scriptures tell us is that Jesus did rise. That, that beauty and truth and love and the emotions we feel are not just random chemicals bouncing around in our heads, but they're real things. There's a story that you were designed to, to be a part of. There's a reason for you to get up in the morning. Now, I don't know where everybody is personally. I, I, I know, you know we're, all, we're all dressed up and happy because it's Easter. But I also know that our smiles often hide what's going on. Uh, in our lives and the behind our smiles and our appearance we can be struggling with some some pretty heavy things at time you may feel this morning that even as you're surrounded by people you may feel alone you may feel like there's no point to going on you may even feel like everything's meaningless the resurrection says there's a bigger story that you're made to be a part of and the resurrection invites you to come to the lord jesus christ in faith and to be a part of that story. Well, last thing, the resurrection brings us peace because it assures us that we're not alone. Uh, here's what I mean. Look at verse 49. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now, Jesus is not just promising the disciples superpowers, right? Just, just hang out here and then you're all going to be Avengers, right? He's, he's not promising something like that. He's actually promising them, if you go and read the rest of the scriptures, he's promising them not a power so much, but a person who brings them power. He's promising them to send them the very Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who's going to equip them, the Holy Spirit who is going to enable them to go forth and, and proclaim the gospel, to empower them for the life he's calling them to lead, the Holy Spirit who will be with them, that, that they can know, even if they're in a concentration camp in the middle of nowhere, that they're not alone, that the Lord Jesus is present with them via the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given to assure us that we're not alone, uh, to, to assure us that we have been redeemed, to assure us that the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is with us and is for us and loves us. 
And that same spirit who unites us to the triune God also unites us to other believers as well. When you become a Christian and receive the spirit, you're united to God himself, but you are also brought into a community of fellow believers in a community of life and forgiveness and love where broken people are made new, where forgiveness is experienced, where you have fellowship both with God and with, with other people as well. Uh, I was reading an article this week about Lindsay Lohan. And I don't read a lot of articles about Lindsay, but, <laughs> so you won't worry. But, but, but evidently, the, the Oprah Winfrey Network, is, you know this has got to be good. It's got Oprah and, <laughs> and Lindsay. The Oprah Winfrey Network is producing kind of this reality show about Lindsay as she comes through. She's just gotten out of rehab for the sixth time. Uh, and they're sort of following her around to see how she does. And they're, they're kind of putting people around her to help her get off her feet this time. Um, and I was reading, this guy was writing a story about, about watching the show. And he said, as he started watching it, you, you feel like, wow, everybody's for Lindsay. And they're surrounding her. And she's not alone in this. There are people who are supporting her. Her, her mom shows up. Her, her brother shows up. Uh, she's got a sober coach. Uh, who is with her all the time, who goes from L.A. to New, New York, who's always there with her. But then he wrote, when, while Lindsay is surrounded by people, she appears to be continuously alone. She, she, she feel, it seems like she feels completely alone. He said, even when she's surrounded by the paparazzi as she tries to make her way to the AA meeting, she's by herself in the midst of that crowd. He said there's a, there's a British girl who shows up to organize her closet that's only known Lindsay for just a few days. And then there's this, this new agey life coach who's always talking about thinking positive and exercise and lighting candles and, 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 all, and all of this stuff while he's pushing her to, to bear her soul about her struggles. He says it really just seems very exploitive. And then there's her personal assistant who's only known her a month. At one point, her sober coach is asked how she's doing as, as she's falling off the wagon. He says, I'm not going to discuss whether or not Lindsay is still sober. Lindsay's sobriety is between Lindsay and Lindsay. She's just kind of on her own in that. She's all alone. And I, I wonder how many of us feel just alone in our struggles this morning. Again, sur surrounded by people on the most glorious day of the year, and yet we're alone. We might as well be like that, that was it Sandra Bullock who's stuck in the, in, the, in the spacecraft in gravity, okay? Like there's all these people here, but really the way I feel is just threatened and alone. You don't have to be alone. You don't have to be alone. The risen Lord Jesus has given the spirit so that you might be united both to God and to other believers who also have the spirit. Don't stay in your isolation. Uh, don't camp out in your self-medicating or, or wither away in your worry and, and self-pity. But cry out to God. Cry out to other people with whom you're united by the Spirit. The resurrection means that you don't have to be alone any longer. How do the disciples respond to all this? How did the disciples respond to these these words of peace from Jesus. 
And the text tells us that at first they were startled and frightened, obviously. But then it says that they disbelieved for joy. Oh, that's kind of a weird phrase. They disbelieved for joy and they marveled. And, and here's what that means in the Greek. It means something like this. Are you kidding me? This is unbelievable. Oh, my goodness. Well, that's my translation. But, but it's something along those lines. Uh, this, this is the craziest thing I've ever experienced in my life, but this is so good and this is so wonderful at the same time. How do you respond to the resurrection? How, how, do you, how do you feel about it being Easter? Are you excited just because it's a great holiday and you get to see family? Or are you excited because Jesus Christ has risen from the dead? Are you excited every Sunday when we come and we... We, we eat the bread and we drink the wine. Do you say, oh my goodness, I can't believe this. This is the most incredible thing ever. I want to suggest that if, if that's not your reaction, it doesn't mean you're not a Christian, but it, it may mean that you haven't really grasped exactly what Jesus Christ has done for you. Because instead of living in freedom and in peace, you're still living in fear. Fear that you're not good enough. Fear of all the bad things that could happen. Fear that your life doesn't matter. Fear that you'll always be alone. Uh, I heard the story this week of a lady who, when she was growing up, she's probably 19 years old or so, she met this guy who she started dating and she went to a party with him and there's a bunch of people that she didn't know as all his friends. And there were drugs at the party, and this was kind of in the height of the war on drugs. And the police busted the party, and they arrested everybody. And they grabbed her, and they said, look, we, we're, not, we're not after you, but we need you to give us some names. She's like, well, I don't, I don't know anybody. I just, I just met all these people. And so they're coming down kind of hard on her, and she's going to have to go to trial. And her parents are real big on, we don't want any published, public embarrassments. And her attorney says, look, just, just plead guilty. It's, it's not going to be any big thing. You'll get probation, and we can put this all behind. You won't have to go to trial. And so she pleads guilty, and the judge sentences her to 10 to 20 years in prison. And she can't appeal the sentence because she had pled guilty. And so she's just going to jail. And so she goes to jail, uh, and she's there for a few months, and her grandfather, I guess, comes to visit her or, or, or whatever, and her grandfather comes up with this plan to break her out of jail, all right? She, she's, she's not in Alcatraz, all right, so it's, 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 it's minimal security. And so what he says is, and I don't know how they work this out, but there's going to be a certain time when it, was the, when it was the easiest for her to get out. And she escapes, she throws some, some clothes over the barbed wire, and she walks through the woods, and her grandfather said, I'll be there at the end of the woods waiting for you. And she does all this, and he's there waiting for her. And her grandfather takes her and takes her to the other side of the country. She moves to California. She lives a brand new life. She gets married. She has children. Um, but the whole time, she's kind of living in fear. Like, when, is, when are they going to catch up with me? Well, then one day when her daughter was 19 years old, all right, so this is this long. She's gotten married, has a 19-year-old kid herself. Uh, an investigator finds her. And they take her and they transport her back to, I forget where it was, Ohio or wherever. And she's in jail for like a year awaiting for a new hearing as they're working through all this stuff. And she finally gets the hearing and they say, there's not enough evidence against you. And they let her go. And she said that it was at that moment 
that she finally realized and was able to appreciate what her grandfather had done for her in setting her free. Why did it take that long? Why, he had set her free like 25 years before. Why did it take so long for her to finally realize what he had done for her? Well, he had freed her, but he hadn't really freed her, had he? He had gotten her out of jail, but the condemnation of the law was still hanging over her head. She knew that she could go back to jail at any moment, and so she spent her entire life living in fear. If the work of Jesus Christ, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ hasn't given you a sense of peace and joy, and oh my goodness, this is unbelievable, then maybe it's because you haven't realized that you've really been set free. Maybe you're still living in fear that somehow they're going to they're gonna take me, they're gonna, they're gonna, there's been a mistake in heaven somewhere, they're going to realize who I am and they're going to send me back to jail. What the resurrection says is that you are free. That Jesus has freed you now. He's freed you from the penalty of sin because he's paid it. You don't have to pay it anymore. He's freed you from the power of death. You don't have to fear death any longer. He's freed you from the despair of a meaningless life because he's caught you up in something so much bigger. He's freed you from the fear of being alone because he's given you his spirit who's not going to take away. You don't need to do anything to free yourself. And you don't need to live in fear because there's no more condemnation. If you're in Christ, there's no more condemnation hanging over your head. You don't need to do anything. You don't need to live in fear. You simply need to look to the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ and believe him when he says to you, peace be to you. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we, um, we pray that these words of peace and forgiveness that you speak to us would really free us that we would believe that we are free and that we would no longer live in fear of our guilt and fear of our sin and fear of death and fear of being alone, but that we would rejoice in the resurrection and we would rejoice in what you have done because you loved us. Help us to do this, Jesus. We ask it in your name. Amen.